Howdy, welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I had the pleasure of interviewing a recurring guest, Stephen Wolf, friend of the program. The pre-order for his book, The Case for Christian Nationalism, is up on Amazon. We are directing all of our sales that direction so that everybody can watch it go up the charts, and maybe, if we're lucky, we'll be kicked off. That would be very fun. So go pre-order today, The Case for Christian Nationalism, and without further ado, meet my friend Stephen. All right, now welcoming on recurring guest, friend of the program, Stephen Wolf. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you're here this time, though, to talk about your book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. It's out November 1st, officially. The pre-order is going, creating a certain amount of buzz. Yeah. Are you enjoying your time? Yeah, yeah it's very exciting. <laughs> awesome. Well, I thought uh, we have a couple of things that I want to address, but I thought we would get to maybe the most uh, fun things first. Okay. okay. Um, I've seen online that you like a man named, or you've quoted a man named Samuel Francis. Yeah. Can you tell me about who Sam Francis is and why, why, uh, why is yeah. it causing a certain amount of buzz? So Samuel Francis is, uh, it was an American kind of, kind of a right wing, um, commentator. He was brilliant in a lot of ways, wrote on a lot of things, yeah. a lot of things. Uh, and there are some things he wrote that people have described as being the white, white nationalist. Okay. Uh, but apart from that, the guy uh, has been recognized actually in national newspapers as essentially predicting the rise of Trump. And he died in, I think, 2002. Uh, he's, he's widely acknowledged as being uh, extremely, extremely smart. I'd say brilliant, but extremely smart. Um, and he wrote in a lot of things. And, and uh, like I said, one of those is basically predicting the rise of someone like Trump. Okay. Uh, another another thing he wrote uh, great books on manager managerial bureaucracy. Okay, um, I believe he also wrote a, a book on Machiavelli. He was a follower of uh, James Burnham, who also studied ma managerialism, and so he 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 wrote widely and very intelligently. Um, he also uh, coined the term anarcho tyranny. Okay, and wrote on that, and that's been important for a lot of discussions recently. So uh, his. He, he he's the sort of guy who uh, wrote, wrote brilliantly a lot of things, and um, I'd say that uh, I'm a fan of his his work broadly. Okay, so speaking. you have a book called The Case for Christian Nationalism. Naturally, such a title is going to garner uh, the case for white Christian nationalism or the white nationalism. Yeah. Um, how would you say your work uh, is differentiated from someone like? Uh, Sam Francis. Well, I mean, let me say, first of all, that if, if we can't cite someone who has said things that we, that we don't agree with and that excite just the general populace, yeah. um, then there's a lot of people we can't cite if that's the principle. Yeah. So what, what's, you know, if people are going to apply a principle for, if, you know, that I, I quote him on something, which is not, does not have to do with uh, white supremacy, um, then this means you can't quote Dabney. You right. can't quote Jonathan Edwards. You can't quote Charles Hodge. You can't quote. Right. Uh, we can go. We can go even farther back. I mean, people don't know perhaps what Martin Bootser said about Jews, or what Calvin said about Jews, or Althusius, or Vermigli. Um, 
practically everyone. Right. So, I mean, if the principle is these guys said um, bad things, we can't cite him, then we practically cannot cite our entire tradition. Fair so enough. if you're going to apply a principle to me, then you got to apply it consistently and not just use an, an ad hoc principle for whatever political purpose you have. Uh, and so I, um, so there's that. I, I don't actually rely on Sam Francis in the book. It's just a good quote. <laughs> I like the quote. Yeah. If people say that it's like a white nationalist project, I explicitly deny that in the book. I explicitly say this is a not a white nationalist project. And that's because... Uh, the way I describe ethnicity is that is not according to race, yeah. but it's people who have these uh, cultural similarities. But more than that is that they have an experience with others in the same place. So you can be of different ancestry. Yeah. Uh, and if you've, if you've lived in this place with others, uh, you have that, that uh, common commitment to this place together. You have, so the way, one, one way to describe it is that uh, is that uh, I was appeal to grandfathers. So like if, if your grandfather uh, lived here with another person's grandfather and they, you know, one guy was the shop owner, one guy was the shopper, right. there's a relation there if they knew each other. And you might, so in that sense, you have this connection through that relationship now. Yep. And you, th those two people could be of different ancestry, um, like, 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 you know, farther back. I mean, and so it has nothing, my, my, Understanding of ethnicity has nothing to do with race as a biological uh, descent or concept. It has nothing to do with white versus black or white versus brown or brown versus brown. Uh, in fact, you could be you could be culturally closer to someone of a different skin color than someone of your same skin color. And I mm. and as someone who's from California, who's lived in the South, I can yeah. say that there are times when I'm actually cult more culturally dissimilar. Uh, I should say that there's been times where I've, I've like seen white and black people to, um, interacting where it's like, I, you guys are closer culturally than I am to either of you. Yep. Uh, and so my entire account has nothing to do again with race. And it's the, what, what's frustrating about this and what kind of fires me up about it is it, it's people are just kind of neurotic about this. Like people, it, they can't help, like it, their world is like either something is racist or not racist and you have to walk on that tightrope and if you, you you know it's so easy to fall and and uh you've, you've called so, it race brain yeah it's great i call it race brain because literally people lose their minds yeah when uh when when you start talking about these things and it, it's it's very frustrating that if people can't just you know open your like open your eyes and see who you and your your great grandparents and grandparents have, have experienced life with the sort of people you'd be in a foxhole with yeah. um, uh, if you were to fight for it. Um, and that's, that's, that's your people. I mean, you might, be, you might still be different in some ways, some important ways, but you can still have a, a, a common commitment to this land together. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so a sort of race obsession, lens of race matters infinitely less than common experiences, yeah. natural geographically yeah. defined experiences. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, one, one, one thing to talk about is just the, this is just an example, and it may not be the perfect example, uh, but so my, my grandfather in World War II, he was, he was a bandsman, uh, and okay. he's a, he was an army bandsman. Uh, he played the trumpet in, in, the, in Honolulu okay. for the dance bands, um, dance bands, for the, for the like, soldiers in R&R. &R, okay? yep. 
Uh, and if if someone were to come up to, up to me and say, hey, I'm, my grandfather was in the Pacific Theater World War II, I'd be like, oh, really? And then I'd say, well, I, I wonder if my grandfather played in a dance band in Honolulu when your grandfather was on, on, yeah. on our, and maybe they did or didn't, it doesn't really matter. But the fact is like you and I, in that moment are realizing, or it's like basically disclosing for us that we are natural relations, which are from which flow our, our natural affections, yep. uh, are in, in a way combined and linked because our, you could say bloodline or whatever, our, you know, our, our immediate ancestry, whatever you want to say it, has been involved with these things yep. as, as a national level. Uh, and so, and, and that could also be like for Vietnam, Vietnam is unfortunate be, um, just because it's kind of negative war, but there's, there's just things like that where you can find a lot of uh, unity around these common experiences and history and, and really build a, have a civic project together. And if we just got away from this like race, race neuroticism, like we could actually start building better. Uh, Meaningful in my, in my relationships. Opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I noticed that with this discussion as it as it starts you have the race thing that gets pulled for first or it seems like the immediate the immediate follow-up is intermarriage yeah. what is that or what do you what do you think of that or is that bad is that good or is yeah it so actually in the book i directly say that intermarriage is necessary to create a people and, and it is okay. and i and i pull that from aristotle who says that explicitly uh and uh this all comes from something i, I tweeted out and uh, the, the background to that, I basically said that, I said, just to say the line directly, um, it's something like, like inter-ethnic marriage can be relatively sinful. Okay. And that, that itself, actually, people who are, uh, that struck people, a lot of people, even people who are close friends with me as being kind of odd and, and false. And so, let me kind of give a background a little sure. bit. So, it, within that thread... We, we, the, first of all, it's Twitter. So it's like the wild west of responding to people. You don't know who you're responding to sometimes. And it's unwise to kind of think out loud uh, when you're trying to sort out something, especially yeah. a guy like me. Okay. Um, when, when you're just like, sometimes, sometimes people just like, like me, you throw something out there as like, you got to get it out. And then you look at it and you're like, nah, it's not right. Um, but the, the idea was that, uh, it, it's good to have a diversity of cultures. It's the good that, that we're not all the same. Uh, and it's, it's good that there are multiple nations, ethnic, whatever. Okay. Uh, the, the question is, well, if, if that is good, how, how, what, what mechanism would, uh, would, would ensure that that perpetuates that, that we don't just end up becoming one blob, one mass of humanity. And so I was thinking, what, what is it that would then have people pass on culture yeah. What is it? Well, it's marriage. I mean, usually marriage yeah. is that thing because if you share the same culture with your spouse, most of parenting is you socializing your kid into a way of life. Like yeah. so much of that is that. Like say this, do this, do that. A lot of those things are some kind of are cultural. Um, and so that- They that, include like songs and meals and yeah. kinds of diet and all kinds of- All, all sorts of customs yeah. and, and learning like food, foods that, that grandma cooked and yeah. uh, the rest of the like family, all those, all that sort of thing. That's all something that if you share the same culture, it's easier to do that. If you don't share the same culture, it's a question of like, well, what, what do we do? Do we do this or yeah. that? Especially if they're contrary, which contrary customs. Um, and so I was thinking, well, it's gotta be marriage. 
And so the question is, well, if it is marriage, then is there some kind of duty involved? Like our, as yeah. if we're a member of an ethnic group and marriage is the way we keep that ethnic group going, then well, do we have, is there a sort of duty involved to marry within the ethnic group? But then I also know, which I explicitly affirmed you know, millions of times, that there's actually nothing wrong with you marrying someone who's actually radically different from you. There's nothing inherently wrong as sure. if that's an a invalid marriage. As if you could just say, oh, I guess we're not married. It'll turn around and leave each other. That's, <laughs> yeah. not, that, that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, and so as I was trying to reason through what is this do, this seems if there's a good involved, is there a duty involved? And if there's a duty involved, is there some kind of wrong that can happen? And so that's when I said, well, you, you don't want to say any marriage is wrong absolutely because that's false. But is there sort of relative sin involved? Like is it uh, where too many people out like marry out and and or too many people marry in and that degrades the ethnicity? And so that that's what I was getting at. Now, as, as I thought about it later and with friends that are, you know, are, argue and discuss things in good faith with me, I came to realize that that, that is really just a poor it's a poor way to say relatively sinful not only because people take it wrongly because again the race brain thing um but it's also hard to lay blame i mean who's who sinned right like yeah. if if a, if a bunch of people do kind of marry in a different culture and it kind of degrades that culture in some way or kind of homogenize it or whatever yep. Like who will who sin like th this marriage or that marriage or so it's it was a really poor way to state things but what i was just trying to get at was that there is some good involved in saying well we kind of want to perpetuate our ethnicity and what one example I, i've used is like american indians uh i think most people would agree that having a, like a group expectation among american indians that they'll you'll marry within your ethnicity, your tribe, or maybe just generally. I mean, I don't, I don't know a lot about their their thinking on this, but it just seems to me that how do you perpetuate this very distinct culture from the broad, uh, from broad American culture? Yeah. Well, you, it's not going to be me marrying an Indian woman. Indian woman. It's going to be marrying among themselves. Yeah. And so, is it wrong for there to be kind of a collective expectation among them uh, that you would? And I, I mean, and I, it'd be wrong for them to, to deny anyone to marry at all, but it just seems like there's some kind of duty or something there. And that, so that's really what I was getting at uh, as best I could. Uh, so I, I don't, I guess I am a little bit while I'm walking back a little bit from the relative sin thing, just because yeah. it's, it, it's, it's pre, it's likely not true. And if it is true, it's really hard to describe and it's it's hard to apply it's hard to enforce it's so it's really un, it's it's a very unwise way to put it so i i mean but at the same time i mean i think that like again just to repeat myself again i think there is like something there's something true about the idea that these distinct groups in wanting to perpetuate in in, in wanting to see like future generations be some more like you like the italian grandma who wants to see italian babies yeah. Um, or the Greek grandma who wants to see Greek babies and doing Greek things. Yep. Like that makes sense that, that people would generally want that. Yep. No one, it you seems know? odd to think of someone finger wagging at that grandma who's like, oh, find a nice Italian boy. Like, Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. uh, that seems like you would never see that. It would be a wholesome scene in a movie. If that if that were to take place on the screen, no one would be like, whoa, chill. Yeah, chill, yeah. so like, like the, chill. the big fat Greek wedding, uh, that, yeah. that movie. 
That movie is like a charming movie because there's a distinct family, a Greek family that's just wild and it's yep. very Greek. And I don't know many Greeks, but I guess that's what Greeks are like. <laughs> um, but it's yeah. a wild family. And and no one, like if if you were to say, yeah, like, you know, all, all those people intermarry with uh, non-Greeks and now they're like the parents. You know, they're, they're, in that movie, they were like very Anglo, I guess, parents. And they're yeah. very kind of strict and they yeah. had this very English kind of thing about them. Um, and like now, now they're all like that. Which I mean, being like that's fine. I'm probably more like that than the Greeks, but 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 something seems to be lost. Like that sure. distinct, fun, different culture of the Greeks that they lost. And I think that what's charming about that movie is the guy who's like very, I guess, very like Anglo. He actually becomes Greek. So uh, he becomes a, Greek yeah. Orthodox. He adopts all the ways. He like is brought into the family. Yeah. There's also some movement from I think the her family as well to like accept yeah. him. But in that sense, he's very much like a guy who joins the ethne. He's he's sort of converting in his own way. I mean, yeah. in a real yeah. way with the Orthodox, but also customs, traditions, songs, etc. Yeah, right. And so, and I think there's something good in that. And uh, it's that, that's broadly what I was trying to get at. And yep. I mean, I hope that kind of clarifies. I mean, there's a lot of people with bad faith who are just going to attack me and just not take it. But <laughs> there's a lot of people, I think, who looked at that. And they're like, Wolf, what are you doing? What are you saying, dude? And they, they want me not to be saying what other people are thinking saying, that or saying, claiming yep. that I'm saying. Yep. And so that's what I meant is to say. So th those, that's all for the my friendly, my yeah. friend, the friends out there. No, that's good. <laughs> I think one, one piece that's under this that I wanted to talk about, um, I think I, very late to the party, not as well read, uh, came to this through Bob Inc. maybe of, of grace and nature. And talking about grace restoring nature, not obliterating nature. Yeah. That's a principle that's talked about a lot. Uh, I know the Foster and those guys used it with, it's good to be a man. So it's used with gender and it's used, you, you're applying, it seems like you're applying that distinction to a lot more than just the sexes. Hmm. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? What is, what, uh, yeah. how does grace and nature play a role with your book? Yeah, well, I mean, part of my argument is that that nations are are natural, uh, and by natural I mean that people are going to be kind of tribal, not in not in a in a hostile way necessarily, but they're going to kind of I hate to use that word identify, but it, they're going to uh, be kind of immersed in, in their their way of life. They're going to have distinct ways of life, and that's good. It's good to have a distinct way of life. Um, not just because it's distinct, but because it's your own and yeah. it's familiar to you. You you can do things in confidence. You can know what someone else is communicating really well. That's all very natural for us to do that. So um, that that's an argument, and I go through I go through that in like the chapters one and two and all that. The kind of the theological background, and then chapter three. Uh, but yeah, but so my argument is that if that's natural, then grace does not destroy it. Yeah, uh, which means we should see our cultural distinctness as not a product of the fall necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I guess there, there can be features of sure. it that are bad that need to be uh, corrected because grace does, do, grace does correct what's er, what's erroneous. It doesn't correct nature, but um, corrects what's not natural. And uh, that's part of the, you know, restoration, restoring. Um, so yeah, that, that's the point. So grace does not destroy nations. And actually part of my general argument is that, that many of the, the there are stru the structures of our world, just like, uh, the marriage of, of one man and one woman is natural. Uh, 
uh, or you know, marriage is marriage is natural. So too is, is civil government. So yep. too is uh, nations and, and that sort of thing. So. And I, I so when we talk about grace, you've you've done like several things already here during your time in Moscow about grace and nature. What you're saying when you say that is like when you become a Christian and God saves you and forgives your sins, you do not turn into this uh, sort of spiritual other right. who's sort of now above things such as like I'm an Irishman. Yeah. And I like corned beef or, you know, it's like, uh, (laughs) I'm no longer identify as this thing. I'm, I'm now a Christian and I'm the exact same as somebody in India, deep in India, who's also a Christian now. Mm. You're saying like, no, it's some of those things are God's goodness to you, kindness to you to have songs and traditions and all that stuff. Is that, yeah. Is that good understanding? You don't, when there is this almost like evangelical notion that, uh, you become a Christian and it's like as if your personality fundamentally changes. Yep. As if you went from being an introvert to an extrovert or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and that that's that's just not true. So you, you yeah. still have, if you're a funny guy before you're Christian, you can be a funny Christian. Um, yeah. You can be some other people who are not funny, but they're, I don't know, they, they uh, I just, just like you, you can go from being an artist to a Christian artist and, and yep. you're still using the same techniques probably, but right. you're, you just, the art's probably different. And, yeah. and maybe it's not. It might not even be right. different. There's probably maybe, a little more light maybe, on maybe the uh, lamps. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you could just keep doing landscape, I guess. Yeah. But, but, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you don't, it doesn't like uh, uh, fundamentally change the, the those natural things of, about you or the, or even the, like the customary things. Like you don't have to, uh, if, if you become a Christian in like Louisiana, you don't have to, um, uh, you don't have to suddenly dislike gumbo because right. other Christians, other places don't like it like that. Right. I mean, that's obvious. It's like trivial. It feels it trite to say, but yeah. it's, but I do think this has made, this has gone a long way. And it's something that I think makes Foster and Tennant's book so good is that there, there did need something happen that it needed to be reiterated that when you become a Christian man, your masculine traits or energies are not to be uh, like you don't lose those. That's good. All of that yeah. stays the same. Like God gave you masculine energy for a reason. You don't have to take any of that or hedge or anything like that. It's, it's good news. And you're applying that, uh, beyond families yeah. and, and in the civic. Well, and I also, I think men are crucial to this. So I think to kind of follow, um, well, like foster and, uh, ben, what's the last that guy's last name? Tenant. Tenant. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things that the gospel does sort of restore uh, for man, uh, even though we kind of already have it as, as fallen is the, is dominion. Yep. And I think men are the chief agents of dominion. Um, women are essential to that, but, uh, but men, men are like the, the chief agents of that, the, the you know, the, the principal actors of doing that. And our, our the typical kind of evangelical, also like the modern um, uh, two kingdom theology also kind of has this too. It views the man kind of as a, like masculinity as, as, as if it's uh, almost like unnatural or that masculinity is there to deal with other sinners. Like uh, masculinity is there because there's, there's men out there who are going to harm women. Like that's why it exists. Like what you, you read your typical Fa- uh, a book about men and families and, and what, what does it say? Well, you're there to protect the woman. 
yeah. which is true. Yeah. But if that's true, then if in a sinless world, then like that's then what is masculinity? What, what naturally, like naturally yeah. as a good thing, not not just good in relation to evil, but good in itself. Yeah. What is masculinity? How is it good in itself? And so that that goes in like prelapsarian or pre-fall yeah. notions of masculinity. Uh, and so one thing I argue is that no, there were like very distinct, they're still distinct yeah. uh, in, naturally in itself. And that's this is why the dominion mandate, bringing this, making sure this is still, uh, still animates our our lives as Christians, is that it 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 essentially says okay, masculinity, you know, like a restored masculinity. It's not yeah. just about protecting women. It's not just about being a provider for the home. You go out and come. You know, it's actually you are looking out as as a man from your household as the head of the household to exercise dominion in this small way, but also with other with other men and households in a community. Yeah. So um, that's where masculinity is good in itself. And so I think that's, so I think masculinity uh, is just like, is crucial for this overall project. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's been really, I've really enjoyed the way, uh, and I'm, this seems like very important to your project where you just said in and of itself, and you went to pre-fall to establish that to some degree. Why is that important to make that move? Like, what is the, Mm -hmm. what are you arguing against? What is the conception a, a lot of people have in mind that you're yeah i i, I want the um, my argument is that the pre-fall state is a very active state okay. i mean things of course were easier <laughs> sure um but he, there was still a very active state where we're still imposing our will like d- dominion is an act of imposing your will upon in a way it's like taming nature it's like a or taming the wild yeah uh and it's in that sense it's completing nature and uh, so it's a very active state, but I, I think we tend to we tend to think. Uh, so if if that is the case, and grace restores nature, then grace restores an active life yep. that is still dominion oriented. Um, and my my fear is that we tend to view grace, even if we want to say it restores nature, but we tend to think like pristine nature is us sitting around, like you know, picking like fruit off of a tree yeah. and just sitting right. around and like you know, that is. In and of itself, what life was. Or, yeah. You know, like, yeah. Like we're just sitting around eating fruit, yeah. talking to angels or something like that. And, but because and, of the fall, we're all sort of in this detention zone or, you know, like yeah. working until the afterlife, which will be a lot back to what you were talking about. Yeah. Right. Back so, to fruit picking. So, but yeah. So like uh, the active life in the pre-fall world, it's, it's or in the, in the, in the fallen world, the, it's hard, but it's still kind of good. And it's, it's still good that we labor, labor. Yeah. The, the bad is in a way accidental to it, meaning it's like something attached. It's like part of the, the curse. It's, but in itself, the actual labor of farming is good. Yeah. And it's an act of dominion. It's just, like I said, it's the, the, the uh, so when grace restores nature, we're still, we still have that, the fallenness of the world and labor is still difficult. Um, but we can, but now, uh, we can see that 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 labor is actually we can do that labor in Christ to the glory of God. So it kind of yep. makes all yep. all the difference. Um, maybe not always outwardly, but it certainly makes all the difference inwardly. And as you know, so um, and it makes us complete humans. Yep. But to be a complete human doesn't mean you're morally perfect in every point. It just means that you are doing what is right to the glory of God, um, right. even if there's kind of an intermixture of sin. Um, that's what Christians can do. They can exercise dominion to the glory of God. Yeah, I, I 
as I've watched the online conversation and people talk about or criticize or praise what you're doing, um, there's a level at which I think some of the criticisms about um, like a preference for your own mm. or a preference for what's geographically related to you, um, all of those things, which I think everyone already thinks that's the case. They operate that way mm. the, on a gut level. But I, some people are wrong and some people are lying. But I do think they have this principle like, well, no, now that I'm a Christian, that stuff's not the case. Hmm. And that's being superimposed in a way that they're not actually living their life. So, you know, it's almost like I've always enjoyed high school football a lot more than NFL because it's like there's a geographical skin in the game. Hmm. You know, yeah. I grew up in Texas. So it's like, you know, if the neighboring city, if somebody wore like a high school jersey from the other city into the Albertsons, it was sort of like, yo, what's this guy doing here? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's like real stakes and there's, you know, it's, um, I don't think that is sinful, like in and of, in and of itself, as far yeah, as yeah. like a gut reaction of like, um, it seems like, yeah, is that, does that seem fair? Like this, it seems like you are actually, you're, you're letting everyone know these are okay things to have. It's, it's okay to love right. the land that you live on. And yeah. And yeah, like you said, people naturally already do this. Uh, and you, right. it's, uh, if, if you ever, if you've ever been in a foreign, foreign country, it's the, the foreignness uh, doesn't have to be scary, but it right. still is foreign. You feel that it's foreign. If you, if you go to, you know, France or Germany, uh, it's, or England, it's, it's going to feel very kind of foreign and different and you're going to make mistakes and you hope they're gracious yeah. when you make mistakes. Right. And, uh, and, but that foreignness that, that can be used to say that, yeah, this isn't your home. Like this is not, um, it, it, in a way it discloses to you what is just implicit when you're at home, yeah. which is that this is my home and everything's familiar and I can, so it, it's, you don't, you're not even aware of the fact that you kind of in, in a way have a home until you're outside of it. Yeah. And you're really aware of it once you, you're like, how, how do I get back? Like, let's say you, you're in, I don't know, like Eastern Europe or something like that. Yep. It seems scary in some way. Somehow Eastern Europe to me seems scarier than Western Europe. Is <laughs> I don't know why, but you know, you, you're over there, I guess in Ukraine would be scary. Um, but uh, you're there visiting, you're on vacation, have a good time. And all of a sudden, like you run out of money, you can't get back. Yeah. Like that would be terrifying. You don't know anyone. Uh, right. You can't speak the language that you can't like get a job. <laughs> you know, you, you don't have anyone yeah. to rely on because you don't know anyone. That's like deep in foreignness right there. Totally. Um, but so the reason why we can enjoy things that are foreign is that we know we can get back. Like right. we know we can leave like that in the back yeah. of my, it's like going out in the forest. Like if you're out in the forest and you had to like stay there, you'd be terrified. Yep. Right. But but because you have a plan to get back, you yep. can enjoy the trees and, and and the animal life and all that. Um, same thing in foreign countries. So this my but point soon the shower like, is in your future and it's all okay. Yeah. Right. He's like, I get back. I'll take a shower. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so so the the point being that, that everyone has this home. It's good. And part of the reason that I write in the book about the idea of home is that we need to be more self conscious of it. Yeah. Uh, because it is a good in our life. And if we are negligent of that good, it'll be erased. Yep. And so we have to act like it's, it's normal for us to just kind of de be enmeshed in our world right. and not realize that we're operating in this very familiar environment. What I'm saying is like, we need to like 
step back and see it as familiar and say, okay, that's good. I need, we need to protect this. Like this has to yep. be an object of protection through the various powers we have. Um, right. And it's not, and, and it's not just for your own good. It's for the good of the people in your community. It's to honor your, your, your grandparents and to situate your, your, your future, you know, your children and their children. So, yeah. And my guess is for the people that are truly in, uh, mistaken about this is that they don't act any different. No, like a lot of the replies that you've gotten about, like, no, you should love other people's kids more than yours. Or, or you know, like my guess is they don't do that either, but they do feel bad about it. Like, yeah. Hey, where, if, you know, I may fail at this, but I do ask forgiveness or, you know, this is the standard, you know, it's just like, no, that's yeah, completely right, like that, inverted. You yeah, know, it's almost they, like that, that's like, it's a function of fallenness to the fact that we prefer our we own. prefer our own kids yeah yeah and and that we like it here more than other places or that we feel right. more comfortable here than there and i mean so and and my yeah like my point is just no that's good i mean there can be bad versions of it. like you could you could love your kids to the detriment of other people's kids that's right. bad right you can love your nation to the detriment of other nations right um certainly that's that's happened and it's bad yeah. um but that doesn't mean that nations are bad themselves or you loving your kids is bad in itself um I mean, so the, the funny thing is how this is like so obvious uh, and, and to even talk about this decades ago, people would be like, what is he talking? I mean, of, right. of course, whereas we are just so like, just, it's just, we're weird. Yeah. You know, we're so weird and yeah. that we, that, uh, and that this is not, this is not, I don't think this is a theological thing. I mean, it's, it's put in those terms in biblical terms and theological terms. It's it's more of just our own. It's like a very Western, um, like malaise or guilt or something like that. That just makes <laughs> us, think it's, makes yeah. us goofy, and it's it's that coming out and guilt uh, is really powerful. It can yeah. like you know. Um, so overall, what I see in your project is just an ultimate grounding for Christians. You live on Earth. That's a really good thing. You have families. That's a good thing. Yeah. Gratitude should be governing all of it. Right. Um, one thing that I also, one topic I enjoy in your book is sort of a, a general defense for Christian culture. Okay. This is also very unpopular. <laughs> uh, can you talk a little bit about what, what, it, what is culture, how does Christian culture play a role in your book? So I call it, I actually distinguish cultural Christianity and Christian okay. culture, which is probably confusing some people, but I, I say cultural Christianity actually relies on a kind of what I say, a social force. Okay. And that means that people are kind of implicitly ordered to Christian things. And, uh, and the, so they're ordered to do, to do Christian culture. So it's okay. like this, this, because I think there is a, we have, so, uh, not every, like we, a lot of things that we do, we know we don't, we, we, so we're polite to people, not because it's a law, but because that's just to not be polite is, yeah it feels wrong and then people look at us funny. So that's like, there's a social force going on there. You can call it a social fact or whatever. It's like this authority that's over us that has no central authority. There's no guy saying you must do this. It's like you telling yourself. It's yeah, like, there's no it's, nice police. Yeah, yeah. It's just like you telling right. yourself, you're ordering coffee, you know, thank you and all that. And, yep. and, and if you do something wrong, like to this morning, I didn't know, I didn't know where the, the credit card thing was and yep. she can and she was very polite. Everyone's very polite about it. Um, you mess it up. Um, yeah. Because it would have been weird if she was just like, oh, oh, yeah. So anyway, we, there's this force involved. And I just think that that this, because it's 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 natural 
that God designed us to have this, yep. that would kind of guide us in how we should act in, in proper ways, that this should also be ordered to, Christian, ordered to Christian things. And that means this force should lead us to do Christian things, not only go to church, uh, but also practice family worship uh, and the particular forms of that. Uh, I yep. think in other videos, I've talked about the Dutch father who reads the, the reads from the Bible after dinner every day yep. uh, to his family. It's very simple practice, but as I understand it, it was very common in among Protestants in the Netherlands. So there was probably like a very normie Dutch dad yeah, who's yeah. coming back from a blue collar job and it's just like, I feel this pressure. It's like a social pressure to do this. I don't know that I'm the best at it, but like yeah. at our family, we do it because this is sort of what we do. It's what it's what you do. It's what you've been socialized to do. To not do it would would feel to be wrong. Right. Whereas for us to not, we might do something different. Like right. as Presbyterians, I'd probably do a little bit of something different. Um, I mean, not that's wrong in itself. You could do that too. It'd be great. But uh, um, but it's but but it, it's good because that this means that like your average person, like so. Like a, a preacher can stand up and say, you should do family worship and maybe like 10% of people do it. And that's good. Good for that 10%. Yep. But that other 90% don't do it because, you know, the preacher saying do it doesn't always actually, it, it doesn't in, inform uh, that, that sort of like. It doesn't, it's it, not it, on a, it's not an agent in customs, yeah. like a primary agent in that. Yeah. And, and, and this is because preachers have a role and I think society, civil society ought to have a role as well. And that would be. Yeah, like as I've described. So, yeah. uh, so that, that's how I, I see it. It's good, just in general, uh, and it, it would look down upon atheism. It would, uh, I think, and the other big thing about cultural Christianity is that it makes Christian truth plausible. So, when we do apologetics today, we go up to a guy and we have to say, "Okay, what do you believe?" And he's like atheist. Like, oh, atheist. Okay, well, again, I'm going to start from here and move there. I know if you're yeah. if you're uh, presuppositionalist you start at one place no matter what but but for at least traditionally traditional uh, apologetics it was more like okay let's bring them from here to there and it's this whole long step in cultural christian conditions they already seem to affirm or assent to the truths it's a matter now to call people to faithfulness yeah uh, and also if they're baptized as babies you can call them to actually be faithful to their calling and their baptism as yep. well uh, and so I think all this is good, which, which basically means you're not, you're not doing like apologetics, at least in that environment has nothing to do, uh, you know, for those people. I mean, you know, you want to equip people, but you, you know, of course, I mean? but all you have to do is just call it a faithfulness. The and baseline is at a much sent more, it's an easier baseline to work with than being like, oh, they don't believe in anything. Got to start yeah. here. Um, I think a lot of people would hear that and be very suspicious of, uh, oh, the, do you think, do you think that can save people, Stephen? Do you think these cultural things, hmm. that's not saving faith, Stephen. That's not real, <laughs> genuine faith. Yeah. Those are empty. Well, I, and the, in Protestant tradition, you can assent to propositions and, and not be in the faith, not be in the church. So, uh, yeah, that's right. So cultural Christianity cannot save anyone. It okay. cannot. It, the the force that I keep talking about cannot bring someone to faith. Uh, that's only something God can do in, as an act of re regeneration in His election. Um, but it does it does prepare people for faith. Okay. Uh, and 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 I always go back to like the family. What do you do in the family? If, even if you're Baptist, 
uh, I mean, if you baptize your babies, you usually kind of raise them up as if Christians, like a yep. sort of presumption. So yep. it's like, you know, whereas Baptist, you know, you don't, but even Baptist families, what do they do? They'll still pray together. They'll still read the Bible together. They'll still go right. to church together. They're still all these things. They're, they are, uh, they, they don't, they don't leave their kids out, you know, uh, of these things. And, and, and so because they're preparing them, so you can, we can all affirm that God, you know, chooses chooses whom he's going to save right yep but at the same time we all still have an active role in that in the preparation to come to faith yep and what i'm saying is that family church is we do that but it also should be civil society as well yeah we were talking last night about um just the grace that that can be to yeah. your average citizen of you know Okay, the dad who takes his kids through the Westminster Catechism at home, that guy, that guy's seen as like super steroids <laughs> theology dad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what if, imagine a world where um, every first grade was going through the Heidelberg Catechism yeah. one a week. And it's like, you know, the, the most average or unsteroid-like family on theology is has the opportunity and and has that kindness to to be brought up in that yeah it's very cool it's it's it seems like something it would be hard to acknowledge as bad <laughs> yeah uh, i think so uh, when, when i talk to people um and i say yeah i wrote a book on christian nationals like oh what is that and i say you know it's a christian nation thinks of itself as christian and kind of acts for itself for its good they go, okay. And, but then when I say, you know, like they're kind of like following me and say, I like that. I like the idea of a Christian society. That's like a very old Christian conservative sure. concept of Christian society. But then I mentioned like, yeah, I want public institutions to be Christian and I want them to pray in school and I want them to be catechized in schools, public yeah. schools. Yep. Um, and I think that, you know, blasphemy laws should be enforced and the Sabbath laws. And that's where everyone kind of gets uncomfortable. Uh, and, but I, I think, I mean, apart from justifying all those in particular, I think what you're getting at is that it, there's always like the super crowd. Like you're always going to have the 10%. They do everything right. Yep. And that's good. Good for them. Uh, everyone should be doing, everyone should be doing family worship at home and all that. But most people aren't going to do it. We know right. that. Uh, and even, even like churches that preach that, which are few, uh, the majority, I don't know the majority, but many are not. But if, uh, if, if you have, but because nor normal people just act average and they don't, do these super things. Well, that's why you have these institutions that take up that. That is that kindness and, to them. Yeah. And so that's why you have these, um, edge, like, edge, uh, public institutions like schools that would, would yeah. we would not, not take the place of parents, but just do what civil society and, um, uh, what, what would be good for civil society broadly for the people in it. Um, another thing I see like on the horizon, I don't know if this, this sort of, uh, criticism has come your way yet, but, um, I often hear conservatives saying, look, you don't want to give the federal government this kind of power because look what the left's doing. Like these people yeah. are insane. So why don't we all walk back federal government powers so that you know, they're, they're not being tyrannized by the right. We're not being tyrannized by the left. Doesn't this work out for everyone? Yeah. That's that sort of, uh, there's sort of a libertarian uh, streak in conservatism. It sounds like you're the guy that's like, no, let's give the federal government powers to regulate towards the good. Well, no, no. So, I mean, what we're now we're talking about, before we were talking about just broad principles. So now we're talking about America. 
And so we kind of have to separate these two. When when people hear someone like me talk about blasphemies laws, they they think that it's like this theonomous position where here's like the civil code and every government has to just enact that law. And then boom, and that's that's Christian government. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Every every people, every government, they're different. Uh, America has a long tradition of religious liberty uh, and, and part of what I was talking about last night is that we can have a religious liberty that's based upon pan-Protestantism that allows people like Jews and Muslims to practice their faith openly. Okay. Uh, we have that long history. I mean, George Washington, one of the first things he did as president was respond to three congregations, um, a Baptist, a, uh, a Roman Catholic and a Jewish synagogue. And that synagogue still exists and it's in Philadelphia. And he was basically saying that we have a great religious tradition. We're not going to bother you. We're not going to persecute you. That's what we're about. So we, sure. we respect that. Um, and that that's our tradition. So what I'm not. So people think that it's like I want to implement some totalitarian. I, I would just rather. I mean, I, I, this is not like a nostalgic project where we let's go back to the founding. But there is a lot of st- um, uh, thinking within the founding and principles that we can appeal to okay and so to get it has a long way to get to my point federalism okay federalism is the idea that the federal government has certain uh, enumerated powers and perhaps implied powers that uh that that are that are kind of limited and that they they do not kind of encroach upon the powers of the state i think we should return more to that which then gives i I mean there's there's a a court case a supreme court case that said that it was a texas high school that wanted to nominate a fellow student to pray at a football game in Texas. And this is like 30 years ago or something like that. And that was, that was a violation of church and state according to the constitution. So that's just those stuff like that's just absurd Yeah, where we should get, we should get back to what the first amendment refers to what the, what does the first amendment say? Congress. It says con- it limits Congress. That is the U S Congress, federal government, the establishment clause, the free exercise clause, it constrains Congress. The federal level, um, and at the time at the founding, several states had de facto uh, establishments. Most of them had blasphemy laws. You know, most of them had Sabbath laws. Uh, most of them would the, culturally would highly um, be suspicious of atheists. I mean, that Thomas Jefferson almost lost uh, his first election because people were accusing him of being pregnant being atheist. Um, Thomas Paine was very, uh, popular, uh, for a long time and it came out, he was agnostic deist and like, Oh, we don't like him. He died in obscurity and everyone hated him. Um, and so yeah. th- there was this, this, uh, this sense that we were a Christian country and, but you know, so anyway, get back to federalism, make it empower the States and look to the chief magistrate of the state, the governor, as uh, someone who can assert the the rights of the state. And I think that's where, I mean, also local government, this is a long-term project as well. Uh, I don't have like a great, like 10, 10 point plan for okay. recovering, you know, Christian America. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that. What is, so we'll, we'll wrap up with this. What is your hope for, uh, I imagine a ton of, uh, you know, what is the hope for a Christian dad that reads this? And he's just in his, lives in the suburbs yeah. and he reads your book and he enjoys it. What, what, what do you want for him? What, what do you hope that when he closes the book that he does next? I, I'm hoping that in, in doing that, like, like what we talked before, this idea that um, what, what's familiar and natural that we kind of, we affirm that. Yep. 
Uh, and I, I hope that that guy, that, that guy, and then everyone else who reads it will have like recovered this kind of this will, this self-confidence, this will to say that, no, we can and should make our world Christian. Uh, we should make our institutions Christian. We should see Christianity should be the norm of society. We shouldn't be the exception. We shouldn't be seeking exceptions. We shouldn't see secularism as normal. It's not normal. Um, it's not according to nature. In fact, the, the completion of nature is itself um, Christian nationalism, or it, it is, you yep. know, Christianizing. I should say. Um, and I, I think seeing that, and and in that, in doing that, I think uh, banding together with others and having a, a conversation around that, we can we can make an impact. I mean, there's several other things, but that's sure. just one thing: is recovering that that will to say that. I mean, this is the important point. It's that in order for this. Even if you're post-millennialist, you're like, it's going to come, you know, the, 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 it, we still have to will it into existence. Like we still, if we're going to make this, this country explicitly Christian, it has to be because we willed that to happen. Um, that, that's not to say it's outside the province of God, or we don't rely on the grace of God, that we don't, you know, seek God um, to, to bless us, but it's still us uh, saying this has to happen, us actively willing it kind of into existence. And if recovering that, if if the, if a guy gets that, I think that I've I've accomplished what I'm going for. Awesome, awesome, Stephen. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you.